John 16. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is that what you are asking yourself, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in, in, of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came to the Father and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you, you know all things and you don't need, need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, 
each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes. So I'm going to force you a little bit over the next little while to, to do that sometimes. So I want you just for a few minutes just to chat with some people around you. Uh, just this one question here as we approach this passage. If you could ask one thing of God this morning, if you could ask him for just one thing right now, what would that be? So I'll leave you for a few minutes to, to think about that together. I can hear some of you talking, so I, I hope that's not just about your sort of dinner choices. I hope, uh, hope you have done that. We'll come back to, to thinking about that in a few moments. What we've been doing is we've been looking through John's gospel. We've been seeing Jesus journeying towards the cross. And in this series of discourses that we've seen, we see Jesus' attention is actually not on what he will face like you might think that it will be. He's going to face a gruesome and agonizing murder. But his focus is on how we will persevere. So I called this morning's sermon, God with us in the wait. What will Jesus do for us as we await his return? Imagine that your life, if you're a parent, this might not be so difficult, I suppose. Imagine your life really was entirely about meeting somebody else's needs. Or it was entirely about making much of somebody else. What would that feel like? When I think about that, actually the place that I turn to, when I think about somebody whose life is defined by serving somebody else, defined by making much of somebody else, I think of Alfred, the butler, the guide, the servant, the father figure to the Batman. Bruce Wayne could never truly be Batman without Alfred's encouragement, wisdom, and sometimes warning. In chapter 15 here of John's Gospel, we realize that following a Christ, abiding in him, will be tough in the world. And Dan showed us that last week, didn't he? And we're left asking at the end of that chapter, well, how on earth will we possibly be able to do that? How will we really meet up to the task? What will Jesus do to help us in the world? And so as Jesus prepares to depart from the world, he prepares us to find our Lord Alfred, the Holy Spirit, the equipper, the encourager, the counsellor, the enabler. And so that's what we'll see. At least it's one picture of the Holy Spirit in these verses here. And the big truth really of this morning that I'd love you to take away that this chapter shows more than anything else is that Jesus leaves us so that he can leave us, the Holy Spirit, to guide us until he returns. And so the takeaway is quite simple, really. It's this, it's look to the Spirit. If you need encouragement, if you need wisdom, if you need strength, if you need faith, then call on the Holy Spirit, Jesus sent helper. Look at those first four verses there with me. And what I want to show you here is the battle that's ahead for us, turning to Alfred and his wisdom. He says here to the Batman, you spat in the face of Gotham's worst criminals. Didn't you think there might be some casualties? Things were always going to get worse before they got better. Jesus' confrontation with Satan 
sin and death at the cross ushers in the possibility of salvation. But the road and the journey towards that is hard. It's lined with challenges. Things, in a sense, get harder before they ultimately and finally get better. Jesus' demeanor has changed. If you've got an analog Bible there with you, or if you can do it on your phone or whatever, you, know, you can flip back just a couple of pages to chapter 13. And John's gospel transitions, and it, it hinges and on chapter 13. Here it turns, and Jesus' demeanor changes. It changes in verse 1. It says, Jesus knew his hour had come. John writes this after having said three times, or recorded Jesus having said three times, his hour had not come. Jesus would say, this is not yet my moment. And four times having said that his hour is coming, but it's not here yet. And now it changes. Chapter 30, verse 1. Jesus knew his hour had come. What he has been sent here for is now fast approaching. I've said these things here, chapter 16, verse 1, back to our passage. I've said these things to keep you from falling away. The word there is scandalous thete. From it, in English, we get scandalize, scandalous. It means to fall into a trap, to fall into sin. I've said these things to keep you from falling into a trap. He's thinking of their future. From it, actually, in English, we get the word apostasy to walk away from the faith. And it's important that you have that in your mind, that this is the specific thing that Jesus is narrowing in on, that he's giving these series of teachings so that they would not walk away from the faith. For Jesus, that really is his ultimate concern for his disciples then and for us as disciples now, is that we don't, in the midst of the discouragement and the challenges, walk away from the faith. He knows what's coming for them. Even as he will soon face such suffering himself, he's concerned that they endure. They'll put you out of the synagogues, he says. And the hour's coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will face the loss of approval and the rejection of society. There's no way of staving that off. There's no clever third path of managing to be able to win the favor of the society around us. You will face that. You will face that loss of approval. You will be rejected. And they'll think that they're doing that for the greater good of society. Isn't that exactly what we experience now? If you don't believe me, I'll share a few words from you here from John Mark Comer, his recent book, Live No Lies. He writes about this. He says, most people today want nothing to do with faith in the public square. The church is seen as part of the problem, not the solution. What's more, with the radical moral reversal around human sexuality, gender, and the life of the unborn, we now have the moral low ground in many people's eyes. Jesus' vision of human sexuality is perceived as immoral, by a large swathe of the population. A growing number of our secular friends and neighbors think of us not just as weird because we eschew premarital sex, give away a percentage of our income, and refuse to be held captive by a political party or ideology, but as dangerous as a threat to secularism's alternative vision of human flourishing. We will face 
that same disapproval, that same rejection. You cannot fight it off. You cannot avoid it. Uh, last time I spoke, I quoted from Adele, so I feel like I have to sort of like balance uh, things out in the universe a little bit. So here's a few lyrics from Pink Floyd, the song where I wish you were here. Uh, did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts? Hot ashes for trees, hot air for a cool breeze, cold comfort for change. Did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? The world pushes us to give up a life of change, life of adventure, life of convictions, life of faith, life of countercultural living for a path of least resistance, a lead role in a cage, enslaved. Jesus calls us to a life that is by nature a battle, where we face adversity because of our faith, and where your faith will grow because of adversity. In the global northwest, this is a struggle for us because we have experienced Christendom. Christendom is the experience of Christianity really being the predominant worldview and it having a significant part <clears throat> in shaping the governance, the law and the society and the cultural values within which we live. We've seen that on the continent of Europe with the Holy Roman Empire began to die after the rise of the Enlightenment and the rise of secularism. In Britain, that lasted a little longer, but is now gone also. And it's important for you to realize that that is a blip. That for most of history, in most of the world, Christianity has always been a fringe belief system. Christendom was the exception. We have once lived in it and once lived in that experience of being seen as part of the majority, of part of the establishment. We no longer see that. And so it's harder for us to accept a role on the fringe, perhaps. They'll do these things, verse 3 tells us, because they haven't known the Father nor me. They operate out of what they know and what they don't know not known the Father. They've not known Jesus. See, what matters is being known by the Father. Not being known or accepted by ruling elites, even a religious elite at that, but by being known by the Father. I've said these things, that when the hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. We see the battle that lies ahead. But secondly, we see the gift that Jesus gives us, the Holy Spirit. Again, turn to a little bit of wisdom from Alfred. Guiding the Batman. He says, young men with a mind for revenge need little encouragement. They need guidance. <clears throat> you, above all, should know the consequences of the life you choose. As Jesus is murdered in just a short time, the question is, what will his disciples do? How will they respond to that? What will the early church do in light of the persecution that they face for holding their faith? Legally declared by the Roman Empire at this point as an illicit religion, an unlicensed religion. What will they do about being thrown out of synagogues, losing jobs, being put in prison or killed? What will we do in the face of Persecution for holding to our faith. 
There's many moments across the movies where Mr. Wayne needs a good guide. We all need good guidance too. And Jesus provides it for us in the spirit, his gift. Look at verse 4 to 15 where we see that. He gives the disciples there and us also the Holy Spirit. We could split these verses up into two sections here. From verse 4, the second half to 11, we see some things that Jesus has not said until now. And then from verse 12 to 15, we see some things that he can't say yet. Look at verses 5 and 6 there. Now I'm going to him who sent me. And yet no one asks me, where are you going? It's because I've said these things. Sorrow has filled your hearts. See, the focus is all wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. You're sorry that I'm going. You're not asking where I'm going. You're asking all the wrong questions. You're a day late, a dollar short. He's told them, but they haven't heard it. It's to your advantage, he says, I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus' departure enables the gift of the Holy Spirit whom they haven't really seen before, who they wouldn't have otherwise, leaving them stronger than they were before. How? How do we see that? Well, it's explained for us in these next few verses. Look at verse 8 to 11 here, and we see the Spirit at work in the world. And we could summarize, perhaps, the Spirit's work in the world as being about conviction. And then in verses 12 to 15 here, we see the Spirit at work in the church. And we could perhaps summarise his work there as being guidance. Look at the spirit in the world. He's come to convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. He's come to convict the world concerning sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job, not us, to challenge sin and to help us see our brokenness. It's the Holy Spirit that actually really does that within people's hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world concerning righteousness. This is the Holy Spirit, not us, that really convinces the heart of our need for God's righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts concerning judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces us of our impending judgment apart from Christ. That we need him, that we need to be saved, we need to be spared from his anger. We need to see Jesus. And the Spirit works on the heart. And look at the need of the world here. We see that in verses 9 to 11 there. They don't believe me, he says. says, The problem is you'll see me no longer. But that he will convince the world on judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The problem of the world is no lack of information. We experience that, don't we? Isn't that one of the problems in the internet? The problem is not a lack of information, it's the sheer wealth of information. We're overwhelmed by a torrent of useless, irrelevant information. Unable many times to discern what information is worth looking at and what isn't. It's not a lack of information, it's a deluge of it. The world's problem isn't a lack of information, it's a lack of belief. The world's problem is that it sees Jesus no longer. We don't see Jesus as he is in heaven at this moment, and yet the Spirit makes him present for us. 
And the world needs to see that the ruler of this world, who seems so strong, who in a few days, even in this arc of the story here, will seem victorious as Jesus is hung on that cross, the world needs to see that actually, in fact, Satan is powerless after all. We see the spirit at work in the world, but we see the spirit at work in the church too. And we see a few different ways in which he does that here. Look at verse uh, 15 there, that he will guide you into all the truth. Or 13, sorry. He's a teacher, he teaches us. He won't speak on his own authority, secondly. He's an ambassador, that is, he speaks and works with the king's authority. He comes speaking with all the authority of the father. That whatever he hears, he speaks. He's a representative, he presents another's uh, work. That he will declare the things that are to come. It's prophetic. He knows the future. He will, verse 14, glorify me. That is, glorify Jesus. That is, the Spirit's work is always focused upon Jesus. It's always focused upon putting glory in Jesus' direction, not even his own. Yet he will take what's mine and declare it to you. He re-gifts. But most importantly, maybe, is that he's a person. Twelve times we get in this short section, he, his, him. Spirit is not a force, but a person. We left off at the beginning of verse 4 there, Jesus saying, I've said these things that when their hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. And the question might be, well, how will we remember? The Holy Spirit will remind you. What we need, God is good to provide. He gives his spirit to remind us what we need to know. We see that battle ahead. We see that gift of the spirit. Then we see a promised redemption, that sorrow will turn to joy. To Alfred again. He says, looking to Mr. Wayne again, Every year I took a holiday. I went to Florence. There's this cafe on the banks of the Arno. Every fine evening, I'd sit there and order a Ferne Branca. I had this fantasy that I would look across the tables and I'd see you there with a wife and maybe a couple of kids. You wouldn't say anything to me nor me to you, but we'd both know that you'd made it, that you were happy. Alfred's greatest hope for Mr. Wayne is to finally find true happiness. We all find ourselves looking to find true happiness in our existence. And one day that hope will be fully realized. All our sorrow turned to joy by trusting in Christ and following him on the way. And that's the promise Jesus gives here, that sorrow would turn to joy for us. Look at verse 16 to 19 there. We see a departure and a return. A little while and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while and you'll see me. And we see confusion reign for them in three ways. Firstly, on the departures. What is this that he says? A little while and you'll not see me. A little while and you'll see me. What on earth does any of this mean? Where is he going to? When will he come back? There's confusion about the destination. Jesus says to me, confused because I say I'm going to my father. There's confusion about the duration. What does he mean by a little while? 
Jesus recognises the confusion. Look at verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he says, is this what you're asking yourselves? He knows they don't get it yet. They'll claim they do get it. You'll see that in verses 29 to 30. They claim they do understand. They don't. They don't get it yet. But after he's raised, eventually they will get it. John is earlier on in his gospel, chapter 2, verse 22, so that after he was raised, they understood what he meant. And even then, after a little while, after having seen him multiple times, they don't get it yet. They claim to get it, but they don't. But they will get it. We see that confusion about the departure and the return. But then we see a change of fortunes promised, that sorrow will be turned to joy. Look at verse 20 and down onwards. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Look at the way in which Jesus is contrasting two different groups and two different results here. You will weep and lament, whilst the world will rejoice. Two different responses to the imminent events There are some that will celebrate the death of Christ. Not because they recognize him for who he is, but because they gloat over him, seeing him as they think defeated. There are some who will be in sorrow and lament. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. See, the normative experience for the Christian life is adversity. It is loss. It is sorrow. Now. And then joy later. By contrast, the world has all the joy that it will ever get already. It will not get better. Why? Why is it this way? When we worship, despite not yet having everything okay, you show that Jesus' value surpasses the value of what you do not hold in your hands. Paul puts it another way. He says, I have considered all things as loss, So the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. When you suffer well and you remain worshipping Christ, what you show is that Jesus isn't a totem pole. He's not a Baal. He's not a self-help guide. He's not a guru. He's not a mantra. He's not a way to get the thing that you really love. Jesus isn't just the avenue by which that you can then get the perfect marriage, the perfect family, perfect health, perfect quality of life. Like everybody else is trying to use everything and everyone else, Jesus stands alone as not offering that to you. So here's a way to know and to experience contentment and peace in your inner being in the midst of hurt, in the midst of loss, in the midst of the complete breakdown of health, in the midst of the loss of loved ones, in the midst of prayers that weren't answered the way that you wanted, 
of the script not going the way that you would have written it. Here's how to know true contentment in your core when everything else has fallen away. And nothing else seems to work because all it promises is if you'll do this, you'll have it. And yet you know that not to be true because you've lived it. You know that there's no way that you can control those circumstances to force that outcome that you want. When you worship despite not having in your hands those things that you might want to have, you show that Jesus' value far outstrips the things that you don't yet have in your hands. And Jesus gives an example of giving birth and that extraordinary pain and discomfort and it doesn't do justice to it at all. I've been there for three and it's incredible how, how women are able to go through that. And yet, and we even know this scientifically, that it's there, that there is a, a wash of hormones that happen in the immediate aftermath of the birth that completely overwhelm the mother so that all of actually that pain is overwhelmed with that love for the child. That there's this huge pain outweighed and overcome by the joy of that new child. This is what it's like to trust Jesus in this life and to know moments of extreme sorrow and yet to know deepest joy. You'll ask nothing of me, Jesus says, but whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. In Christ, God provides for us. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. We're to look to him now. All you need to find true joy, you can ask him for. And all that he's given you is all that you need. All that you need to find true joy, you can ask him for. And all that he's given you is all you need. So ask and be content with his portion. We see that battle ahead, that gift of the Spirit to help us along the way, that promised redemption of sorrow turning to joy. And then lastly, we see the ending that's to come. One last Alfred quote. He encourages Mr. Wayne, endure, Mr. Wayne, take it. They'll hate you for it, but that's the point of the Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the choice that no one else can make, the right choice. Alfred encourages Mr. Wayne when he's tempted to give up, tempted to give in, that he must endure. He must see it through. And when you're tempted to give up, to turn back or to lay down, you must endure too. Because Jesus wins in the end. You know, isn't it the reality of not knowing the ending that makes so much of life that is stressful? Stressful. If you knew the outcome at the end of it, it wouldn't be half as hard to go through, would it? And so knowing and remembering the ending helps us along the journey. Look at verse 25 to 28. One day soon, he won't have to shield them 
from knowing everything. I don't know whether you'll have sort of experienced this, but uh, at one point along with sort of COVID, we had to get Leon COVID tested and, uh, you know, he really didn't enjoy that process at all. It was really very, very dramatic. And, you know, uh, the, the day that we had to do it as well, he was in such a great mood uh, and it made it feel all the worse because he's there and we said, all right, Leon, we're going to have to take you out in the car now uh, just for a little trip. Uh, just about, he's, oh yeah great brilliant yeah yeah we're going out right I'll get my coat and he's so excited he's, oh great yeah I can't wait to go out <laughs> just, and it just built up and up and you feel so bad because you have to shield him from the reality of what's going to happen there's coming a day where Jesus won't have to shield them from knowing everything to this point he's had to shield them from knowing everything I've said these things to you in figures of speech, he says, but the hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will speak plainly. You'll ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. What he's saying is it's good enough for you to ask in my name. You don't have to come to me asking me to ask the Father. You can ask in my name, and that's enough for you. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. You find the Father's favour through Christ. You can come to him directly just like your own father here. I come from, came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus is going home. He's not going away. Jesus has left home to come to earth. He's now returning home to his father. One day soon he won't have to shield them from everything. But secondly here we see that what they think they get, they haven't got yet. But one day they will get that Jesus has overcome the world. Look at verse 29 to 30 there. They say to him, now you're speaking plainly. Now we know all things and we don't need to question you. We believe you came from God. And we know that they have all the right intentions and they really sincerely believe that they do believe everything and that they don't need to hear more. And we also know that they're very sincerely wrong because in a couple of days' time we'll find that. We'll find that they've forgotten everything that they've heard. They say, we get it. We didn't before because you didn't make it clear. If only you'd made it clear, Jesus. And in a few days' time, they'll revisit some of Jesus' words and realize he'd made it very plain. We didn't get it because he didn't make it clear, but now we get it. So we don't need to hear any more. So Jesus responds, do you now believe? And I'd love to know the tone in which he asked that. Because the tone might say a lot. Perhaps he may have emphasised the do. Do you now believe? Or do you now believe? This is the moment. Of all the moments, this is is the one. And yet you see the graciousness of what Jesus doesn't say here to them. The telling off that he doesn't give them. I've said those things that you might have peace. I have overcome the world. In order to make it through the journey 
you need to remember how it ends. Knowing how it ends, that Jesus wins, that Jesus overcomes the world, completely changes how you live in the in-between. See in this chapter here, that battle ahead, that persecution for our witness to Christ. The gift that Jesus gives us in that weight along the way that the Holy Spirit that helps us through. See that promised redemption that our sorrow will turn to joy. And we see that ending to come that Jesus wins. Let me return just for a moment though to that quote from Alfred. Endure Mr. Wayne, take it. They'll hate you for it but that's the point of the Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the choice that no one else can make. The right choice. Let's come back to that quote because when I think of that quote I don't think so much about how we must endure as the one that did endure. Our hope to be able to endure along the way actually comes not from thinking about how we will do it, how we'll pull our bootstraps up, pull our socks up, and how we'll just be better, do more, try harder. Our hope is actually looking to the one who has endured for us. The one, Jesus, who became an outcast, who made the hard choice, the choice no one else could have made, the right choice. Isaiah 53 puts it this way, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes were healed. You see, for all the world, in a couple of days' time, it will look as though Jesus is destroyed and defeated, that he has been overcome and overpowered as he is killed upon the cross. For all the world, it will seem as though his run has come to an end. And yet Jesus has already said, John chapter 5, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Our hope to persevere along the journey. The strength to endure comes from looking to the one who endured for you and for me, who was not overcome, who was not overwhelmed, but who gave his life up. And in his graciousness, his generosity, his love and his favour and his care. He doesn't leave us alone along the way. He doesn't leave us alone in the wait for him to return. In that little while before he returns from his father's side. And if we need strength, encouragement, wisdom for the way, he has given a way by which we would find that. One truth of this passage this morning really is that 
Jesus leaves so that he can leave us the Holy Spirit to guide us till he returns. And so the point is to look to the Holy Spirit. If you need encouragement, if you need wisdom, if you need strength, you need faith, to call out to the Holy Spirit this morning. Ephesians 5.18 encourages us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, actually, the way it's written, it, it doesn't really make particular sense in English. It, it says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a present continuous tense. And the point is that the experience of the Holy Spirit in your life is an all-you-can-eat sort of affair. There's an absolute minimum that every believer has the Holy Spirit within them because in order for you to see who Jesus really is, you need the Holy Spirit. So there's no way that you don't have him. But there's no upper limit on it either, that you can be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We began this morning by thinking, if you could ask anything from God, anything you could have from him, what would it be? The thing to ask for this morning is that the Holy Spirit might fill us again. So, why don't I just simply pray for that for us? No big flashy show, no clever words, no perfect mantra prayer, as if the point is on me. (laughs) It's not. It's on the Holy Spirit and his graciousness and his goodness to continue to do all that Jesus says he has been made to do, to guide us into all righteousness, to lead us in a path along the way following Christ. I pray and then in a few moments we'll, we'll sing a closing song together as well. Father God, we thank you for your wondrous love for us that not only goes to such great expense to give up your son for us, to pay for our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might be freed from all of our sin and shame, and that we might be freed to live uh, truly for you and to know eternal life in your kingdom, to know true, lasting joy, even in the midst of the struggles and the strains of life that we each experience in many different ways. But Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us to not leave us alone. That Lord, you've granted us your spirit that we might not be alone, but have your help, have your enabling, have your encouraging, have your counsel, have your wisdom, find faith and strength in you. And so... Holy Spirit, ask for each of us now in the, in the different circumstances that we're in, the different moments sort of in life that we might be in, the different needs that we may face, different challenges we may be going through, that Holy Spirit, you might fill us again now. That you might grant us your wisdom, faith, love, strength, endurance, whatever it is that we need to draw close to you in these moments and to be kept along the way. Holy Spirit, pray that you would fill us and be filling us in days ahead. Lord Jesus, as you spoke of rivers of living water flowing out from us, the Lord, you might grant that to us, that in your grace and your favour we might not only experience enough for us, but enough to be able to share with those around us. That with those 
partners that you've given us along the way, those friends and loved ones, family and neighbours and colleagues, that we might be able to minister out of your grace and your love to those around us. So Holy Spirit, we ask for all of those needs that we know that we have, and they're real, but Lord, that you might grant all that we need for all that we face. For your glory and for our good, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.